This is Uniquely Milwaukee. It's everything you love about community stories, but more in depth. Giving the stories the time and attention they deserve. Changing perspective one episode at a time. I'm your host, Salam Fathayed, and this is Uniquely Milwaukee. Stories that stick with you. May marks Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, a time to honor and celebrate the many contributions made by individuals of Asian and Pacific Islander descent. To celebrate this month, we teamed up with the Milwaukee Rep to feature monologues in association to the production, The Heart Sellers, written by Lloyd Sue and directed by Jennifer Chang. The play gives voices to the Asian immigrant experience of the 1970s, when the landmark Heart Seller Act granted thousands of professional workers a new path to citizenship. For this episode of Uniquely Milwaukee, we have special access to these insightful monologues on our podcast, highlighting the unique perspective and experiences of Asian immigrants. And Jamie Karama, the Education and Engagement Director of Programs at Milwaukee Rep, went to several AAPI organizations in Milwaukee, where she talked to members about a monologue project to accompany the play The Heart Sellers. From there, four elders volunteered to share their stories with us. Each of the elders moved to the United States in the 1960s and the 1970s. These stories go into more about their personal lives, history, and their experience moving to the United States. Although these stories are written by the elders, they are read by a younger generation. Name, Siling Wong. Age, 79. Country of origin, China, but grew up in Hong Kong. Languages most spoken are English, Cantonese, Shanghainese, Mandarin, and French. Date of immigration to the U.S., 1962. Accept who you are. I'd heard of the Heart Seller Act, but I never had time to read about it. Many Americans recommend books to me, and I remember seeing it in a book. The other day I was at a sorority meeting, and we were talking about ancestry. There were about ten of us in the room, and when I brought up the topic of the Chinese Exclusion Act, none of them had never heard of it. A lot of history goes unknown, so it's no wonder to me why I never heard of the Heart Seller Act. My decision to come here? There was only one university in Hong Kong, and there were about 20,000 senior graduates. Yeah, the one university only had capacity for 200 students. I knew it was better for me to go to college abroad. And once you left China for Hong Kong, Hong Kong being under British rule at the time, there was no going back to China. People either went to Canada or England, and as a British protectorate, it was easier for me to immigrate to England. But I chose to come to the U.S., and, of course, many people wanted to come here. To get a student visa, you have to be accepted to a university first. It is not easy to get accepted as a foreigner. The SAT and ACT, those are very American things. I was very proud to get accepted to Mount Mary University. When I first got to Milwaukee, there were less than a thousand Chinese. I don't typically look Chinese to others. I'm taller, you know? And people wondered if I was Native American Indian, Hawaiian, or even Filipino. They were confused by me. And I was confused by their egg foo young, chop suey, and fortune cookies. I'd never had those before. Those aren't native to China. I didn't go for those things when they were on a menu until much later in life. Anyway, when I got here, there was ignorance. People asked me if we lived in trees, if I'd ever ridden in a car, if I ever had ice cream. <laughs> I mean, it was the 60s, not ancient times. It was a little unbelievable, but I let it go. 
If only they knew that our top chefs in Hong Kong were Swiss trained, so our desserts were superb and with influence from the French, meaning wonderful desserts that aren't as sweet as they are here. I made friends through simply meeting a lot of people. I had many requests from the university to speak with women's groups, church groups, and student groups, calling for foreign students to speak about our experiences. I made friends with my professors and classmates through guest speaking and through my language classes. I'm glad that I was fluent in English, excelled in French, all while still maintaining my Shanghainese. At school, two ladies took care of us foreign students. It turned out they were both Shanghainese. There were so few of us that I was surprised. They made food for everyone, and they made good Shanghainese food. One time they asked me to volunteer at the Holiday Folk Fair, which is where I met so many more Asian groups over the years. And I did have relatives in the Midwest, which helped to balance being at school and being with family. My first Thanksgiving, I went to an uncle's house in Minneapolis, a marvelous cook. He made turkey, but did it with soy sauce, stuffing it with Chinese sausage, and there was no cranberry sauce. I don't really like it, but I've learned to eat it every now and then. Wisconsin is the capital of cranberry sauce, so I know it's hard to leave a Thanksgiving without it. We also had rice instead of mashed potatoes, of course, and we may have had a pie. But I can honestly say that the U.S. finally started to feel like home towards the end of college. Different people would invite me to their homes for the holidays, and they tended to be from the Midwest in smaller towns. I remember going to a friend's house, and we drove into their town square on a Friday night. We ran into someone that my friend knew, and I'll never forget. They said, oh, you're the China doll they're going to take home for the weekend. <laughs> I still laugh to this day. You know, I'm grateful to be who I am. The more you become Americanized, the more you get American friends. But don't throw away who you are before you immigrated. Accept who you are. My mother told me, you have a Chinese face. You can't change it. So do things like keeping up with your reading and writing of your native language. You will find the community for you. This piece was read for you by me, Zoa Hirano. I dedicate this performance to my grandma because she immigrated from Japan to America in the mid-50s when she was 20. Next, we travel to the Philippines to learn about a story about a princess. Name, P. Emrita Kiram, age 80. Country of origin, Philippines, the island of Mindanao. Languages most spoken, English, Spanish, Muslim dialects, Visaya. Date of emigration to the U.S., 1974. Maybe I can be somebody. My father is a Muslim sultan from the island of Mindanao, Philippines. The country recognizes these titles of royalty as they are a non-threatening minority population. When I was growing up, most Muslims in our country were illiterate. That's no longer true now. The sultans provide moral and spiritual leadership. They are ethnic and tribal and able to trace their ancestry from the 13th century, long before Magellan discovered the Philippines in 1521. The P in my name stands for princess, and usually it's only the natives who will call me that. But usually they will address me with the Muslim equivalent, which is Bai. So they call me Bai Imrida. I identify with that title, still, a lot. My journey towards American citizenship came in 1974, but technically, I cannot consider it immigrating. I did not come originally as an immigrant. At the time, married with two daughters less than five years of age, I was working as a staff member in the office of the Secretary of Commerce and Industry, now Department of Trade, 
you know, the office that handles international foreign trade and expositions. In 1974, I was appointed public relations officer of the 1974 Philippine participation to the World Expo in Spokane, Washington. At the time, the Philippines was under martial law, and for a young family, our prospects seemed dim and uncertain. My husband and I were educated in the Philippines and Europe, Spain and the UK, with degrees in law and journalism, with no future prospects. Because my mother, Nellie Lee Kelly, of an American father, was born in the Philippines in 1921, and I was born in 1942, when the Philippines was a U.S. colony, from 1898 to 1946, we were both legally considered born in America. In school, A was for apple. We didn't even have apples in the Philippines. Because of the colonizations and my mom's dad being American, I knew what pumpkin pie, turkey, all of that was during the U.S. Thanksgiving holiday. Yeah, most people don't realize that. However, when I became an adult and chose to be a diplomat, I lost my citizenship. If I were a street sweeper, it wouldn't have been a problem. But because I chose a career as a high-ranking official, I had to pledge to the now-independent Philippine government. After my contract ended, my search for repatriation began, and it turned out to be a complicated and lengthy process, almost 10 years long. But in the beginning, serendipity, patience, and faith intervened. In 1974, the Filipino community in Milwaukee was the honored country at that year's International Holiday Folk Fair. The community sought advice in the Philippines. Since I was already in the U.S., the office directed me to Milwaukee. That's how I ended up here. After the folk fair, I found employment at the Marquette University College of Journalism under Dean George Reedy, former press secretary of President Lyndon Johnson. It was because of Dean Reedy's extensive political influence that my petition moved forward. Every politician who came to pay their respects found themselves in a short trip to the federal building that happens to be located across the street where they were mostly billeted at the Pfister Hotel. They were to check on my status of my petition and extol on my excellent qualities as a future citizen. I believe that the federal employees had the impression that my family was politically entrenched and would often inquire, who are you? And I would reply, I am nobody. At one time they said, Vice President Fitzmondel comes here asking about you by name. Why? I said, I'm still a nobody, believe me. Really, I'm not. I know my place in this world and this list of royals, and my family is not political with global affairs. A few years later, I moved to UWM, and the university helped move my petition forward. I finally received citizenship in the 1980s, and my family followed a year later. I love this community and volunteer and serve in any capacity I'm able. I've been president of the local Filipino community organizations twice, served as chair of the Rizal MacArthur Foundation that brings medical and surgical missions to the Philippines every two years, been national vice chair of the National Federation of Filipino American Association, NAFA, the largest Filipino American association in the U.S., and many more. It helps that I'm a Muslim princess. And by the way, sometime in the mid-60s, I was the first Miss Philippines to the Miss World pageant in London. Anyways, those things don't define all of who I am. Maybe. Maybe. Just maybe. I can be somebody. 
This piece was read for you by me, Yi Zhang. I dedicate this performance to my mom. As a Hmong American, my mom immigrated to America from Laos when she was a baby shortly after the Vietnam War and was raised in Sacramento, California. Growing up in a family of eight, my mom earned her bachelor's of science in education and a master's of education in curriculum and instructions. Through my mom's hard work and dedication, it has inspired me to work hard and bring honor to her hard work and name. Wow, both those stories really resonated with me. In the first story, Accept Who You Are, it made me think about the importance of community. And I know that's not a revolutionary thought. It made me think about my dad. When my dad came to Milwaukee, he was really young and the first place that he worked at was a shop that specialized in rugs. In those first years, being surrounded by Palestinians and Muslims made that transition, oftentimes a lonely transition, easier. And I think about how different his life, my life, would be if we didn't hold on to that rich culture. And the second story, Maybe I Can Be Somebody, also really hit home for me. You know, oftentimes we define ourselves by one aspect of our lives, whether it's our job or our hobbies or our relationships. But the truth is, is that we are complex individuals with many different facets. And I think it's important to remember that we are not limited by any one aspect of our identity. We can always strive to be more and to explore new opportunities. And this story reminded me of that and I appreciate the message it conveyed. And to learn about a princess? Move over Disney, come on. <laughs> but we are not done with the stories and you're in luck because you have two more. The next two stories are also from the Philippines. Support for 88.9 comes from your membership and the Greater Milwaukee Foundation. Through the Greater Together campaign, the foundation and community work together to build a thriving Milwaukee for all. Partnership ideas at greatermilwaukeefoundation.org. Name, Delia Plaga, age 83, country of origin, Philippines, is Visayan but grew up in Manila. Languages most spoken, Wadai, English, Tagalog, Date of emigration to the U.S., July 1970. All about balance. See, I don't even know what that's about. What is the Hard Sellers Act? I don't even know what that is. I just came to improve my life. I came because my husband was a professional engineer. Otherwise, it would be hard for just me to come because I did not have that professional career. We came to improve our lives because, like they say, this is the land of opportunity. Parents here are different from parents in the Philippines. We teach them to honor the elders no matter who it is, but parents and other elders can be mean. In the Philippines, you're not allowed to vent or give your opinion as a child. I wanted to get my kids out of that environment where parents hurt kids as part of raising them. My experience, we didn't embrace, we didn't kiss in that environment. My husband first came and went to California to find a job because California was well known in the Philippines. Then they were getting rid of the engineers in California, so he decided to go to Milwaukee where I met him in 1970. I didn't bring my kids at first because I had to find things for myself, you know. We first lived on 63rd and Silver Spring. I found out that neighbors weren't really that friendly. 
After a year of living there, I brought all four kids from the Philippines. They were 11, 7, 5, and 3. My youngest daughter went to the neighbor's yard. The missus was so angry, she said, Who invited you here? You have to be invited to go to someone's yard or someone's house. It's not like in the Philippines where you can just walk over. My daughter came home crying because she was not used to it. I tried to balance our customs with the U.S. customs, and if I think about it, it's like, maybe we're the annoying ones. <laughs> in the Philippines, when someone asks you if you want something, be it something to eat or an invitation to something, and you say, no, once, keep asking until it becomes annoying. The first thing I noticed when we got here is that no gets to the point. It can be direct. First, I was offended, but not anymore. I was able to meet some Filipinos when we came to Milwaukee. There weren't too many, not like California or Illinois, but I was glad to have met them in my first couple years. That second year was the first Thanksgiving with my kids. I don't like turkey, even from the first time, and my kids don't like turkey, but they eat it, even up to now. I prefer Filipino food, the chan, although pancit and adobo now I don't like much anymore because it's at every event. But I like lechon anything with fat I like. I don't deprive myself, you know, of the food. Thanksgiving was at my house. We didn't know anybody, so we were not invited somewhere else. I found out what to eat through my friends at work, but I thought, what will I do with turkey? I was very appreciative of them telling me about turkey. I just didn't make it. Chicken we like. I'll eat mashed potatoes, but I don't like gravy. The gravy should be on the side. So at our first Thanksgiving, we ate Filipino food, you know, with kare kare, senegag, and more. You know, up to now, I don't really feel at home here, but that's because I was into raising my kids, not really being Milwaukeeans. I accept responsibility for that. You have to know how to balance your culture and other people's culture. Otherwise, you'll be at a loss and keep asking questions like, Oh, why can't they be like ours? Why are they like this? I did my best trying to balance a new culture for my kids while maintaining ours. Do I like turkey? No, but it's still put on our Thanksgiving table and my grandkids get to go to school talking about how they ate turkey. And I'm able to recognize the power of a no to keep things from being annoying to others or for myself. It's all about balance. My name is Fiona Hernandez, I am half Filipino, and I'd like to dedicate this to my father. What's interesting about the story is that Dahlia right now is 84 years old, and she wrote this piece very recently. And she added at the end is that she doesn't feel at home here. And that is so real because you could spend majority of your life somewhere and it doesn't feel like it's yours. I loved that honesty. But the next story is about the mystery of life and how someone's life can instantly change by just going to downtown Chicago. Name, Reno L. Lasada. Age, 84. Country of origin, Philippines. Born in Tagbilaran, Bohol. Grew up in Malolos, Bulacan. Later in Manila. Languages most spoken, English, Tagalog, Ilocano. Date of emigration to the U.S., April 8, 1972. Full Circle My wife and five children left the Philippines on December 25, 
1971, and arrived in the United States on December 25, 1971. They had two Christmases because of the time difference. I stayed behind to train my replacement as requested by my company and followed soon after to Chicago on April 8, 1972. To be honest with you, I'd never heard of anyone mention the Heart Cellar Act until this interview. Nobody talks about it that way. But I never heard people talk about the 1924 Immigration Act either. That one that, uh, prevented Asians from coming to the U.S.? I heard about people wanting to emigrate to the United States, but I, for one, really had never thought about it. I had a very good job in the Philippines, and so did my wife. We were practically well off. Most of my wife's classmates in nursing school wanted to come to the United States, so she thought about it. I believe she thought about the education for our children to improve our lives and experience an American way of life. That's practically the reason. And we had relatives all over the U.S., and my sister-in-law in Chicago, she told us to consider coming. So my wife applied for a job as a nurse to one of the hospitals in Chicago while still in the Philippines. She got accepted. Moving here was very different. In the Philippines, you have helpers. We don't call them servants. We call them helpers or maids. During that time, we had about three. One does laundry, one goes to the market, one helps to take care of the children. It was only when we got to the U.S. that we felt how hard it was to do it without any help. But we did okay anyway. <laughs> we moved in with my sister-in-law, and they had a duplex. We were lucky to be able to stay in their second floor. Since my wife already had a job, and I didn't, she said to me, Why don't I do the work in, and you relax and take care of the kids? My mother-in-law came overseas to help at the time. With her permission, I did just that. Only a week into settling in, my brother-in-law wanted to meet up. He comes up and he says, Hey, Reno, you've been cooped up here for a week. I have my friend here, Ernie, and he'd like to buy some accessories for his car. How'd you like to come with us? Why don't you come and we'll take you around the loop? I says, what's the loop? Downtown Chicago. That sounded nice. So I asked permission from my mother-in-law, and she said, go ahead, go ahead. I went with them to a big company called Wachowski & Company, which is a subsidiary of J.C. Whitney. Long story short, I went with my brother-in-law in the store, and the salesman was a Filipino. He was a salesman in the same company that I was with back in the Philippines. His reaction was surprised and delighted. He said to me, Sir, what are you doing here? When did you get here? I told him I've only been here a week. He said, Well, do you have a job yet? There are a bunch of Filipinos here. Maybe you can apply. They need more in-store salesmen. Maybe you can go to the HR and see what you can do. That's exactly what I did. I told them I was a medical representative in the Philippines and I'd be more than happy to go through training to sell auto parts. After going to the hiring office that day and taking a lie detector test as part of a relatively short process, I was asked if I could start the next day. I said, 
Tomorrow is Sunday. I usually go to church. They asked me to start on Monday, and I said, yes. Right after I got a job and my wife still had hers, then we could start looking for our own place. That's when the U.S. started to feel like home. Having a job with Korshawski and Company gave me the flexibility and support to send out my resume to different pharmaceutical companies that I'd like to work for because that's what I was trained for in the Philippines. I had three offers but didn't accept any at first. I was interviewed by all of the regional and district managers of the company Sibagaiji Corporation, favorably. I was told to report to the Skokie branch the next day. Right then and there, I had to take a physical examination and was told there were two districts in the U.S. that needed a representative, one in Kansas, Missouri, and one in Milwaukee. I said, I've only been here a month. How far is Kansas? How far is Milwaukee? I decided that Kansas was too far and that Milwaukee sounded great. The Milwaukee manager happened to have been Chinese-American. The first thing he wanted to know about me was if I had any children. He found out I had five and said, I'll take him then. That was it. He didn't even interview me. I later asked him why that mattered, and he said, Well, I would imagine if you have five children that you would work really hard. That's how I came to Milwaukee. Like I said, we had five children, and we had difficulty renting an apartment here. Some of the landlords didn't like having couples with too many children. That was something. We were able to rent a flat with two generous people. The husband was Mexican and married to an Irish. Two great people welcomed us to the upstairs of their duplex. And when we created a community, it was from church, mainly, and just running into Filipinos wherever I go. They want to help you and want to know if you're Filipino and when did you get here? All of those questions. A doctor with the Filipino-American Medical Association invited me to one of their meetings, and after being an active member, I was later appointed as the executive secretary. In 1974, I was a Filipino folk dancer at the Holiday Folk Fair. Can you imagine me, a dancer? <laughs> but I created friendships that way. In the 90s, I met Fawis the Filipino-American Association of Wisconsin. They asked me to become president. I was reluctant, but did it anyway. No matter the opportunities that came my way, I was glad to work. Through everything, I was grateful my brother-in-law took me downtown Chicago back in 1972, and I met my former associate that opened windows to me getting my resume out. Seeing him was a nice full circle and affected the trajectory of me, my wife, and our five kids. This piece was read for you by me in J.M.A. Russell Kamara. And I dedicate this performance to my grandparents and to my mother who emigrated from the Philippines and were invited to the United States to be medical practitioners. Now, those last two stories were incredibly different. 
Come to think about it, all the stories we heard today have been so unique. And the only similarity that I noticed is that they all moved to the United States in the 1960s to the 1970s. However, beyond that, their experiences and reasons for moving were all so different. It's amazing to see how people from different parts of the world can have vastly different stories and perspectives. And in this case, three stories from the Philippines having vastly different stories and perspectives. Each person's journey is so individual, shaped by their personal circumstances. And even when they have shared commonalities, such as moving to a new country or coming from the same country, their experiences can be completely different. It just goes to show that there's no right way to live life and that each person's path is unique. We all have our own struggles and triumphs. And we can learn so much from each other's stories. And it's important to listen and to appreciate the diversity of experiences that exist in our communities. And it helps us strive to understand and support one another. This month is AAPI month, and there is no better time than the present. So thank you for listening to these stories brought to you by the Milwaukee Rep and learning about history. And if you feel compelled, we have a list of things to do, to eat, to watch during this month to honor the month at RadioMilwaukee.org for you to soak up AAPI month as much as possible. This is your host, Salam Pathayad. Thank you to Nate Imig, our executive producer, Kiri Salinas, our audio production manager, Brett Krasgowski is our web editor. Thank you to our marketing team led by Sarah Lar. Graphics and our wonderful logo is made by Aaron Bagata. Our community engagement coordinator is Mallory Wallace and Dan Reiner handles our social media accounts. And a big, big thank you to our city-loving members for making Uniquely Milwaukee possible. If you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast and tune in next week for the next episode of Uniquely Milwaukee.